Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, with another fantastic interview. We're going to switch gears a little bit from uh, the last few episodes of marketing. We're going to go into software, which kind of makes the world go round. My guest today is John Steele. He's the founder and CEO of Series Code. Series Code develops software for startups that can pay for the software with cash, equity, a mixture of cash and equity. It's kind of a really cool thing. We're going to dive into that. For the right idea, John will take 82% of his payment in equity and 18% in cash. And when you're a startup, cash is king. He has 25 employees and is, and is projecting 700000 in revenue, and which is quite an impressive figure when you take into account that he collects about 50%, maybe 80, 82% of his payment in equity. So that's, that's very awesome. John is also an agile coach. He's been coding since he was a teenager. I guess that another Radio Shack computer. We'll, we'll find out how far back that goes. John, how are you doing today? Good, Jim. It's great to be here with you. Thanks. So uh, when you were a teenager, was that, the, um, was that the Radio Shack computer or are you a little younger than that? So it goes even a little further back than that. So my dad was a computer science graduate. He taught me to code when I was seven years old and uh, it was on a Commodore 64. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was crazy. I'd sit with my dad. I still remember the yellow uh, pad he'd, he'd pull out with his mechanical pencil and he taught me, you know, what a string is, what an integer is, what a double and a float are. And then I went to the library and they had books just full of code that you could type in and you could get a game to play on your Commodore 64. So that, that's what I did when I was seven, eight, and nine years old. So you didn't play baseball and soccer. You were, <laughs> you were coding when you were, when you were a kid. Somehow I did both. I, I fit a little bit of, of baseball and soccer in, but um, I loved computers. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And um, you are, did you grow up in the, on the, in the West coast? Are you in like, um, you're in the West coast now, right? I'm in Denver right now. I grew up okay. in California, Southern California. Very cool. Um, so I understand uh, just from our, our little green room chat, you became a lawyer as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So um, just a few years ago in 2014, I decided uh, I wanted to, try something different, see something different. And I thought, you know, I'm going to leave software development. I'm going to go into litigation um, just the, as completely different as I could. I, everybody says, oh, you have a software background. You should go into intellectual property. I was like, no, I want something completely different. And so I started uh, going to the University of Denver, um, their evening program to study law. Wow. I mean, that's, that's my, my son-in-law is an attorney. I mean, that's, that's no easy feat. It's always, it always surprised me. I, I've talked to so many people who actually got a law degree and then they go and do something else. But. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was no easy feat. I've done a lot of hard things and that was definitely the hardest. Um, but you know, I didn't, school was tough for me. I was always very bored. And mm -hmm. when I went to college, I'd already learned how to code. So I didn't really need it. Although I was going for computer science because you got to have a bachelor's degree. Um, but I really didn't enjoy it. It was finally in law school that I really enjoyed school. It was just a different way to think. Um, and I, I, I really appreciate the, what I learned there. And I think it'll be useful no matter what I do. So when you got out of college, um, did you get a job somewhere? Did you do the whole corporate thing before the entrepreneurial, <laughs> before you scratch your entrepreneurial itch? Yeah. So uh, 
actually had the job through college. So I've never actually gone to college uh, or, you know, anything past high school um, as a full-time thing. Um, so when I was 16 years old, I got an internship um, out in California for uh, coding. And that worked out well. And by the time I was 17, they offered me a full-time salaried position. And so I took it and moved from California to Washington, D.C., um, but decided to continue going to school. That's where I went to University of Maryland to get my computer science degree. So I worked full-time and went to school in the evening to get my bachelor's degree as well. So I believe, is that the Tarpons? Yeah, the Terrapins, the Terps. Terps, there you go. Um, so you left, you left home at 17 with a full-time job? Well, they offered it to me then on a contingent that I would move um, as soon as I could. So uh, it was one week after I turned 18 uh, okay. that I, I moved out to D.C. Yeah, just left family and, and went. I was going to try this whole working thing. Wow. I mean, your dad was probably like, okay, that's pretty good for you. And your mom was probably, don't you leave home yet? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and I found out later, I didn't know this for until 10 years later, my dad actually called my boss up and said, the only way he's moving out there is if you make sure he gets his, his college degree. And so the, they apparently had this, this understanding behind the scenes. And uh, my boss, you know, David Green, he, uh, he encouraged me to make sure I got that done. That's awesome. Yeah, so when, I, I love stories like this, but I'm, I don't want to bore the audience. <laughs> Not that your story is boring, but um, so when did it, so, so you got the job and you were writing code and all that. When did you decide that you wanted to go out on your own? So that was um, after, so I went out with that first job, worked it for four years while I uh, did my degree. Then after that, I actually went out on my own for my first time. I had moved to Tucson, Arizona, and I built an IT um, business very similar to the Geek Squad, but before the Geek Squad existed. Um, and that was my first kind of venture into real entrepreneurship. Like I remember being eight years old and taking the red red, the red wagon out and putting a, a boom box, right? A portable cassette player in there with a shelf on it and taking candy around the block and selling it for 50 cents, right? To wow. whoever would buy. Um, but uh, when I was 21, I moved to Tucson, Arizona and decided to start uh, a, a, a company that where we would come to you and help with your computer problems, very much like Geek Squad. Um, but the thing I learned with that is you have to love the business that you're getting in. And that wasn't my my love, like IT, networking, um, fixing, you know, spam and spyware on computers wasn't my thing. It was a good business. And as a 22 year old to have a business that was making $400,000 was pretty good. I thought that was, that was pretty cool, but I wasn't really enjoying it. So I actually sold that business and went back to computer software development, which is what I love. That is so cool. And it's so true. You know, when you look back, I'm 61. So I look back and I think, man, I was just so driven by money. And today you know, I'm driven by, by what I love to do and the money follows. You know, you've, you've heard that. Enjoy what you do and the money follows. It really is true, but it's, so it's true. different when you're young and it's then it's different when you're newly married with kids and a mortgage. You still Right. <laughs> well, this is, this is in the dot-com, you know, bust, right? Um, mm -hmm. And But at that time, I saw I mean, people were leaving their software jobs and they're starting dog walking businesses because – and I just thought the American dream is to own a business. doesn't matter what it is, just own a business. So I was like, I'm going to go own a business. But that's really where I, those few years I found out, no, you really have to love it because running a business is all consuming and you, it's going to be every part of your life and you really need to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. So John, let's fast forward to um, kind of modern day and series code. Like what was the, what was the impetus be, by joining or be by, you're the founder of that company and it's got a pretty unique, 
pretty unique business model because a lot of people, startups especially, you know, either don't have a lot of cash or need to preserve their cash, but yet they need software developers. How did that materialize? Yeah, so I love startups. I love working in startups. I love the lack of the bureaucracy and red tape that you can just go out there and get it done. And, uh, you know, I thought about just starting my own startup, but um, the beautiful thing about software development is that you aren't pigeonholed to one thing and you're not pigeonholed to a single industry. You have, I mean, the entire world runs on software. So if you work in software development, you can work anywhere on anything. And so I thought, well, why don't I start a company that lets me do this and work with lots of different companies and just see lots of things and be able to have my hands in, in lots of different projects. And so that's where Series Code came along. Um, I had uh, over the years, you know, a few years before I decided I was going to leave software development because I didn't really like the environment that I saw. Um, I didn't feel it was healthy. I had moved up as far as I could being a hands-on contributor and my next move was into management. I really didn't like what I saw there. So I, th I thought, you know, I'm going to switch completely and I'm going to go into law school. But while I was in law school, my career was over. So I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to try a few things. I'm going to take a few risks here that I maybe otherwise wouldn't if I was trying to, you know, further a career. And they worked out really well. And we created an environment where the software developers really love what they do. They're very engaged, but they're very appreciative as well. I've worked with some of the best people that I've ever worked with, uh, most of them overseas. And it worked out so well, I said, you know what, I need to put a company around this. And that's where a series code came out of. And so, did you start solo or did you have some partners right off the bat or employees? No, um, I started solo, although the model that I used, I, I built it inside the company that I was working for at the time. And then I converted them into a client. So it was just me, but I already had a client together. I already had the model of, of how it would work out. Um, and so I just started to replicate that model. Very good. Um, and so tell me about the business today. Like, who do you work with? Is it, um, I think I was in inquiring before we went live here. Is, is it companies that are, are software companies? Is it companies that need software to kind of run their back end or, you know what I mean? Yes. And so it's definitely software companies. Um, usually our client is a non-technical founder, somebody who has, who's probably on the other side on sales or marketing or, or business management. And they, they need somebody to come in and take care of the technical side of things. You know, they could probably learn it and do it themselves. But, I mean, it's, it's a jungle out there if you don't know what you're doing in software development. And so they can bring us in and it's basically a turnkey solution. They, they bring us in, we take care of, we're basically the software development department for them. And uh, again, so we're in all kinds of different industries. We, we have um, hospitality, for example, one of our clients, if you stay at a Marriott or a Hilton, um, you've probably used our software to get internet authorization where you pop open the lid of your laptop and put in your last name room number and it yeah. helps get you online. Um, That's yours? Yeah, we, yep, we work with uh, 11 Software out in Portland, Oregon, who has 25% wow. of the hotels in the U.S. Um, but then we're in, uh, there's a company called Swoovy down in Austin, Texas. It does dating, uh, has a dating app where they send two people on uh, a nonprofit volunteer date. Um, and so, you know, it's nice. We're just kind of, we can be in any industry. We're, we help, um, there's a company in Colorado Springs that we work with who finds lost checks and helps get that money back to businesses. Um, and, you know, there's a, a fellow I met in law school where we build a, a, a courtroom simulator to help um, 
teach people how to do uh, evidence and it works for continuing legal education, which all lawyers have to get. So I mean, it's just a, a plethora of different places that we get to work in. That's crazy. Just so um, does your team, are you mostly focused on the software or do you have, do you have a team that actually helps startups with different parts of the startup phase? You know, I don't know whether yeah. it's marketing or, you know, legal, all that kind of stuff. So I'd love to do that. That's more of like a, a startup shop um, or a startup studio. Um, I'd love to get there eventually, but right now we focus just on the software side of things. So we leave it to the companies to do all the business side, the sales and marketing, everything that needs to go into that. And we are the software development department for them. So when somebody approaches you that has a, a need for, for the software and, you know, code the whole thing, if that's the right terminology, how do you determine, um, do you yourself has that, have expertise? I mean, there's got to be a valuation of the company if you're going to have an equity share. Um, right. Or do you work with different brokers or how does that work? So, and it depends. You mentioned in the introduction, um, our our 82% program where we'll, we'll go all the way down to 18% in cash paid. Um, that is a very selective program. And if we do that, we do have a due diligence process that we go through. And it's, it's I mean, we, we are acting like a miniature venture capital firm at that point. So, we need to make sure that we're, you know, signing up for something that we really believe in that's going to go. Our standard program, we're a little bit more flexible. Um, we do a 50-50, so if you can pay your invoice 50% cash, 50% equity. Um, those ones we don't need to go quite as deep because the investment that we're making isn't quite as much. Um, but we do, you know, we wanna make sure, we wanna talk with the CEO, we wanna see the product, we wanna make sure that it's something that, you know, we believe is, is gonna go. Cause right, otherwise we're putting in effort for something that might, you know, just be a waste in the end. Right. We don't wanna do that. Um, I also. So in law school, um, because I, I love entrepreneurship, one of the classes I took was venture law. So I got to do a deep dive into all of the how financing works um, in the startup, in, in an early stage startup, and, and what kind of a venture capital firm is looking for. So that really helps out. What does it look like when somebody comes to you? Do they have uh, an idea? Do they have some software they started that doesn't function or, I mean, are most of your things from the ground up or like, are you a problem solver or a solutions provider, which I guess can be the same, but I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> so you're right. And it, it can really be both. Um, we've had both come to us. We find that if it's somebody with an, an idea, oftentimes they might be a second time or, you know, a serial entrepreneur because um, people with their very first idea, they're, they're, you know, their head spinning. Um, there's so much going on and, and they haven't quite usually wrapped their head around what it's going to take to bring this thing to market. Um, but many, many times we are actually taking over. So uh, a company will come to us usually just, you know, a couple of months before a series seed round. They have uh, usually a single person who's been doing the software development and it's, it's gotten them along, but that person either was full-time and now is part-time because, you know, they have to go get a job to make money because everybody needs to eat and pay for mm -hmm. the house. Um, or it, sometimes it's just not working out. There's, you know, personality conflicts or the, the just not getting the traction that they were hoping to. So usually we're taking over from one person who's been working it and we put it into a team. And our, our team, the basic team usually consists of a team captain who's the single point of contact um, with the client and then a front end developer and a back end developer, both part time. Because those are the, the basics of what's needed for just about any piece of software. You need somebody to do the front end, all the, the pretty user interface and you know the, the nice look and feel. And then somebody to do the back end side with APIs and databases. So um, 
uh, SaaS, SaaS is that is that um, service? Is what is that? Software as service? Software as a service, right? There we go. It, it's a it's a fancy name for things that run up on the internet, right? Things that are in the cloud instead of, you know, before software used to always be, you, you bought it, you got like a CD or you downloaded it and you installed it on your own computer. Right. Um, you know, so this is back in the days, you know, QuickBooks or, you know, uh, Quicken, those kind of things that you download and you just run it on your own computer. When everything switched, you know, now it's all online. You go online, you log in, you pay usually a monthly fee. That is SaaS, software as a service. It's just a service that's running up there on the, in the cloud. And that's, I mean, that's, if not 100%, is it 95%? I mean, everything's that way today, right? Yeah, pretty much. There are a few um, applications that don't really work well that way. Um, usually kind of utilities and stuff that you might download. You could think of a lot of um, computer games are prob- probably still are the kind that you download just because they require so much information to be on the computer and you don't want to be pulling that over your internet pipe each time. But for the vast majority of stuff, everything's up in the cloud now. Yeah, I've been in business almost 20 years. I remember when my accountant, who was brand new to me, said, go out, go out and get uh, QuickBooks. Right. <laughs> and that was that. Well, my first mistake was I bought Quicken because it was 100 bucks cheaper. So <laughs> I didn't tell you to do that, but I already opened it, so I was out of 100 bucks. So, but today, you know, of course, we keep upgrading. It's all, it's, you just don't own anything other than a username and, and password. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Are, so you develop. So the software you develop is is cloud based. You have you must have a whole server farm, or, or, or you know when when you develop software. I'm curious, do do, do you transfer it, or do you main, do you keep it on your own servers, maintain it? And I'm sure that's probably a relationship that continues after yeah. the fact. Yeah. So, and that's the thing, you know, when we're vetting new companies that are talking to us, um, we check, you know, how, their thought, how they feel about software, because software is really like electricity. You should schedule it in, if you're going to have your own software that you've built, you should just schedule it in your budget, like uh, an electricity, a flat rate and, and have that ready to go. Because a lot of times um, people who are starting a new company, they think, no, I'm going to go out and have somebody build me this software and then they'll be done. They're going to go away. And the problem is software never dies. If, if clients, if there's people who want your software, there will always be bugs to fix. There'll be new features to, to roll out. There's always something going on. And then with them cloud-based, there's always maintenance of making sure it's up. Like back in the old days, when you downloaded something to your computer, there was no maintenance really. Like maybe somebody needed to call in and ask how to do something. But with it all cloud-based, you have to make sure all those servers up there are still running. Uh, your database is up and running. All of your different uh, components are going. So software is, is an ongoing budget item for startups if you're a software company. Um, and yeah, we have, it, it really depends. Um, but typically what we like to do is each client has their own account. We use Amazon Web Services, which runs 50% of the cloud these days. Right. Um, Everybody has, you know, each client has their own account and then they have their servers in there. And it really depends. Like a, a brand new startup with just a few hundred or a few thousand um, users, it, you know, they don't need more than two or three servers that are running. Um, somebody running like hospitality, uh, inf- you know, code like we do for the Hiltons and Marriott's of the world, um, that server farm is 250 servers right now. So it really just depends on how big the user base is, which decides how many servers you need. Wow. What are, so I'm, I'm guessing that's one of the mistakes. I was going to ask you, what are some of the mistakes people make when developing a SaaS program? Is, is that the number one, not projecting how much uh, maintenance and um, engineer, I don't know if they're engineers, you're, they're going to need to keep the thing running? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely one of the 
somebody who hasn't done it before, right? And doesn't have a software background, understanding just the software is expensive um, and understanding that cost. And that's, that's one of the reasons I got into this business because, you know, I, I, we, we sponsor, you know, venture clubs, you know, the angel funds and stuff, for example, like Rocky's Venture Club. And I go to these things and I hear everybody has a story, either themselves or, or somebody really close who scraped together 50 or $100,000, you know, on their credit cards or home equity and couldn't afford, you know, an agency, for example, like ours. And so they just got whoever they could get. And six months go by, a year go by, they think they're making progress in the right direction. They paid out all their money, but at the end, they don't have something. They get software that doesn't work, uh, doesn't work how they wanted it, or it's not gonna scale. Um, it, so it, at the end of it, they spent the money and they're, they're out. They have nothing, no recourse, nothing they can do about it. And that was one of the reasons I started this business because I want to interrupt that cycle. I want to get in there before somebody goes with whoever they can afford. And that's why we put financial package together so that our cost, the amount of cash that you have to pay us is you know, similar, usually less than what you're going to have to pay that single person that you found to, to do your code, but you're getting a whole agency. You know, t we have 28 employees now. And when you sign up with us, you get a team of folks. So usually at least two or three people working on your problem. It's, it's always better to have more people thinking about how to solve problems the right way, rather than just one person kind of running off in their own direction. Yeah. Are most of your, I don't know if this is a fair question, are most of your deals like the 50-50 you talked about to, to people like, I think, a Shark Tank? Nobody wants to give up more than 50% equity. So where, where do your deals fall mostly? Well, and that's, I, I want to correct that um, just before we go any further, because that's, and it's a problem and we're working on, you know, how, how do we message that? They're not giving up 50% equity in their company. Um, what that means is let's say they get a thousand dollar invoice from us. They can pay $500 in cash and then they can put $500 towards an equity balance. Uh -huh. And what we do is we accumulate an equity balance and we have something like a safe that's uh, that we're going to participate in their say series a round, just like their angel and their seed investors on a safe or some kind of convertible note. So um, we don't actually know what percentage we have in the company. Um, and that's the difference. Other people who do similar things like this, um, they take a, a, some kind of percentage, 5%, 7%, 10%. We feel that's not fair because it, software needs, A, it's really tough to know what you need when you start and your needs change as you go. And so we don't want to say, you're going to give us this percent of your company and, and that's it. We let you accumulate a balance and then whatever that happens to represent, with your valuation down the road, that's what we're going to get. And that could be as low as, you know, half a percent. It could be something like 10%. It really depends on how much software development you needed to get to that point. Ah, well, just as a marketing coach, yeah, that's probably some language we, you need to right. figure because that's, that's certainly when I was researching for the interview, that's certainly what I was taking. So, so if somebody does, um, so I see. So if let's say they get an invoice, whether it's a thousand dollars or whether it's a hundred thousand dollars, they would pay right. a certain percentage of that in cash. And then it's almost like, like you would bank the rest. And at some point that what, what's in your bank, so to speak, will convert when they, when they go public. That's right. Um, and not necessarily to go public, but like their series a where they issue that first uh, round of stock, Okay. Um, we'd participate just like their other investors. And so we're work for hire. Um, a lot of times we, we see uh, these early startups, they bring in somebody to do the technical side and they give them uh, ownership of the IP, some form of ownership because they figure they're writing it and we're not paying them for it. Um, and that creates all kinds of headaches as well. Um, Cause then you're trying to figure out well, who actually owns this. The company needs to own the IP. 
So when we come in and we work, we work for hire, the company owns all the IP, we just have this equity uh, security tool that will let us participate in a, in a round down the road. And think about that, right? Like if we do $100,000, well, let's say we did $200,000 and 100,000 is on the equity balance. Well, if they get a million dollar valuation, which would be pretty low for a series A, we'd be a 10% owner. But if they're 2 million, we're 5%, right? If they're 5 million, you know, our percentage is going down. So you can see, it's not like we own 50% of the company. That would be kind of outrageous actually. We will own some pretty small percentage based on the amount of work that we do. Right. Did I see, I've only got about four minutes here. Did I see um, in my research, you were, are you like a highly skilled poker player? Did you play like a world championship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I've played in, uh, so in 2013, I went to the world series of poker. I played in eight events. I cashed in two of them. Um, I, I love poker. <laughs> my gosh. So, cause I was reading in your bio, something about WSOP. I said, I had to look that up. So is that another software term? I just don't get <laughs> And WSOP came poker. up, world series of poker said, well, is that right? <laughs> so, yep. Yeah, wow. no. So if you, if you Google WSOP, John Steele, you actually get to my world series of poker page. Um, I love to play poker. Um, I started that basically when I was 21 out in Tucson as well. Um, but I've, I've just, kind of in, increase and improve my skills to the point where I like to go and play in the, the world's largest stage there. Well, you know, there's, I mean, every entrepreneur, whether they play cards or not, is a poker player. Well, <laughs> right. you, are, you know what I mean? I mean, it's a skill. Poker is mean, every- the game of life, really, right? Yes, like, it is. The, the things that you learn, and, and everybody thinks uh, poker is all about the bluffing, right, and faking people out. And it's like, that's maybe 15 or 20% of it. There's a huge amount that's understanding the cards that you have, the value that they have, knowing the odds of what your, of, of your hand completing, right? Like you have four cards to a straight and need to get the next one. What's the percentage chance that that's going to happen? And then calculating that your ROI, what amount of money do I have to put in versus what am I going to get it back if this comes? You know, so there's, that's probably the, the most, that, that's what happens for most of a poker game is, is all those calculations going on. And then there's a bit of reading the people that you're playing with, trying to figure out what they have and knowing who they are and what they're doing. It's like, yeah, if that's not life, I don't know what is. Wow, that is fascinating. Well, what a fun interview, John. Thanks for coming on. Um, if we got some people out there who are, who are very curious about software developing and thought uh, maybe it was out of reach, because they're too young or not too, no, I mean age, but too, too new as a company, I think you're a good person to talk to. So how can people connect with you? Yeah, they can go to seriescode.com and they'll find our email address on there. Series code, just like it sounds. S-E-R-I-E-S-C-O-D-E code, seriescode.com. John, thanks so much That's for right. being my guest today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jim. I really appreciate hey, it. Thanks. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with John Steele. He's not only um, a coding master, he's a poker playing master, which is kind of fun. Hey, um, well, I guess that means I'm a business coach, but I'm also a boat captain. So we all, we all got our alter ego here. Uh, until next week, another fantastic interview on Dream Business Radio. I am Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. You take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.